Hello and welcome. This podcast is all about you. My name is Pat McKeown and I'll be your host. I started this podcast to record conversations with a wide variety of people about their emotional well-being. I want to inform myself and others about the universal human condition to enable us to live more fulfilling lives with reduced emotional suffering. I also want to use the podcast to promote the philosophy of having nothing to hide when it comes to our innermost experiences. This is something I will try to embody as a host and I will encourage my guests to be similarly forthcoming in the hope of having you, the listener, reveal your emotional self. After hearing about the depth and breadth of our guests' experiences, you will realise you too are not alone when experiencing your darkest and brightest moments. Today's guest will be Laura Gilsonan. Laura wrote a cash face story in 2015, articulating her struggles in the hope of reducing the stigma and silence linked to revealing our emotional selves. I had the pleasure of living with Laura in first year of college, and she is a joyous, incredibly friendly and strong lady with an infectious laugh. She will now read her story, which will be followed by a discussion of the story, her struggles with bereavement and obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, and how she has since become a much healthier person. I hope you enjoy, and when you finish listening, please send your feedback to the U Facebook page. That's Y-E-W for your emotional well-being. Now, without further preamble, here's my Laura Gilson. Um, my name is Laura Gilson. I am 22 years old, and I have struggled with my mental health for the best part of my life. If the world could see the pain a troubled mental health causes to its sufferers, it would not be so quick to judge them. I once described in the past to my counsellor at the time that I would rather break every bone in my body than go through this mental torture. Just before my 18th birthday, I began to have very severe anxiety brought on by the grief of losing my brother and the pressure of my leaving certificate exams. I let all the pressures of my life get on top of me. While I had lost my brother six years prior to this, the grief of the incident had built up over time due to my silence about it. I thought I could deal with it alone. But after suffering in silence for so long, it all became too overwhelming for me. For years before this, I spoke very little, if at all, about the way I was really feeling and about what was bothering me. I just wanted to always come across as happy and carefree, when in reality this was not the case at all. Behind it all, I was in my own mental hell. Some days I would struggle to leave the house or even leave a certain room out of fear of what thoughts or problems would enter my head. This caused me to isolate myself from my friends and family, which only made me feel even worse. I was ashamed of what I was letting bother me, considering that so many people in the world have much bigger problems to deal with than me. What I've learned from this experience, however, is that no problem can be classified as too big or too small. We cannot compare our problems to those of others. What is a problem for you may not seem as one to others and vice versa. If there is something on your mind which bothers you and preoccupies a lot of your thinking throughout the day, it is a problem and you can learn to deal with it. I was afraid to speak to my family and friends because I didn't want them to worry about me, in particular my parents. I didn't want to cause them any more pain than they had already been through. However, it is opening up and talking and sharing with those that are close to me and whom I trust, which was the first step in developing a sound mental health. My friends and family told me that they were much happier knowing I was having problems than not knowing. The expression, a problem shared is a problem solved, holds great truth. I can't thank my immediate family and extended family enough, and as well as my close friends, for what they've gotten me through. People are often very critical against mental health sufferers. 
claiming that everyone in life has problems and that they should simply get over them. The beginning of this statement is true. Every single person in the world has problems. And the reality is that some people simply contain the tools to deal with these problems, while others need to be taught or given the tools. I needed to be taught the tools. And it was through the help of speaking to my friends and family openly, as well as counsellors, that I had obtained the right tools for me, and I learned to apply them. When I finally felt I was over my demons, as I called them, I relapsed well in my second year of college. I took my recovery for granted, and I believed I was done and dusted with my battle with mental health, and I let all my problems get on top of me again. The truth is I will never be free of my mental health problems, but I can learn to live with them. We all have good days and bad days, and we are entitled to feel upset or angry when we have bad days. I thought I had to be happy all of the time if there was something wrong with me. And by trying to be happy and put on a brave face all the time, I made myself miserable. If we acknowledge our feelings, we can learn to live with them and deal with them, whatever they may, may be, happy, sad, lonely, etc. But if we fight them, they will only come back to cause us more pain, having not dealt with them directly in the first place. After attending counselling for the na- last number of years, I am happy to say I am now certainly in a better place. I realise now there is no shame in having mental health problems and there is especially no shame in asking for help when you need it. If you are reading this and you are having trouble with your mental health, I won't patronise you by saying that I know what you're going through. The truth is I don't. We all have different problems and we all deal and suffer with them in different ways. But what I can do is relate to it through my own experience and say that you are certainly not alone. What I discovered from sharing with others is that the majority of people do have mental health issues and are simply too afraid to talk. Don't be afraid. You do not have to suffer alone and you will be amazed at the amount of people that will be willing to listen and help. I hope this story and all the great work being done on the Cash Faith page will help reduce the stigma and silence against mental health. If you broke your leg, you would go to see a doctor. Don't be afraid to seek help if you're struggling with your mind. We all have nothing to hide. Thank you so much, Laura. That was absolutely brilliant. And I remember... You wrote that in 2015 when I was in Texas and you sent it to me and I was sitting beside a friend of mine and it actually moved me to tears because I had lived with, lived with you two years previous for a year and I, I knew you and I know you as a very bubbly, vivacious, happy-go-lucky person and there was this aspect of your life which I really didn't know anything about and it just stunned me and hearing it again today it just really informs me so much more about your character and helps me understand that no matter how happy-go-lucky people may be, that there's a person underneath the surface who has woes of sadness and, you know, and obviously they obviously express their joy, much like you always have and always do, but there's another side to your character which is definitely worth revealing to others and I want to thank you again for, for sharing it again today and you mentioned before we hit the record button that you hadn't read it in a few years. So how did it feel reading it again today? Um, it was a little bit tough. So it was even though yeah. I knew what I was reading, but um, it just uh, it kind of brought it all back, I suppose. Um, it was just a little bit. I could feel my hands kind of trembling a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I I get a similar experience when I read stuff that I've written in the past. That kind of a lot everything has been worked through in, in my own experience but um sometimes it can it be brought back to life and it can bring back some of some of the sadness but see seeing it today 
again, we, ha- we haven't chatted in a long, long time. Um, so I don't know what, what the last few years have been like. So now, are, are there any phrases there that ring true uh, today? Or are, what's, what's, what's the last few years been like and what, how are you feeling today? Um, mental health-wise, the last few years have definitely been great. So they have. Um, I'll just reading back over that again. Like I definitely stand by every word I said. Um, I think it's just it's just me being honest, really. So it is about um, uh, mental health. Um, I've continued to recover really since then, so I haven't get stronger and just continue to use the tools that I've been using. And I'm currently attending. Um, a clinic is called the Bateson Clinic in Dublin and it's actually primarily um, an OCD clinic um, which is what I suffer from and they've really helped me come on leaps and bounds like and I might only visit them maybe once a mo- once every six months or once every three months and it's still great so I can cope with things in between that time very easily so I can now. Well interesting I never realised that you suffered with, with, with obsessive compulsive disorder yeah. and you mentioned that you use tools to help you manage the different stresses you encounter. Like, what what type of tools would they, um, would they be? I did a lot of um, cognitive behavioural therapy. So I did, and really the, going through the process of what you're thinking. Um, what I went through uh, was quite scary and it's quite hard to explain. But I was in that bad a mental state. I used to kind of convince myself I did things I didn't do. Right. And which was very scary, even though I never did any of the things I thought I did, I convinced myself I did. So I had to go back on those thoughts and basically distinguish fact from fiction. Right, right. No way. So you you had cognitive behavioural therapy and that gave you a new way to rationalise your experiences and, and your thoughts. So and to somebody who's never heard of CBT or, or cognitive behavioural therapy, how would you explain it? And how would you explain your experience of it? Um, at, at the beginning, it's very tedious. So it is um, trying to... Um, well, I found it very tedious, so I did anyway. Just trying to... It's trying to process your thoughts and make sense of them. So it is. But um, once you practice it a couple of times and put it down on paper and kind of... Ra- that was the big thing with me, trying to rationalise what I was thinking, like, how true is this um, thing that you're thinking? And, th- yeah, that's what, what that's what it was for me anyway, cognitive behavioural therapy was just trying to rationalise uh, something, going through the process of, yeah, did this actually happen or did this not happen? Yeah, I, I actually had CBT myself and I was maybe, I think it was maybe 14, 13 or 14 when I started CBT and... I still employ some of you know the tools today as well, and for me, I had basically a, a maladaptive response, like a, a poor response to my to to my environment and the way I was thinking. And I wouldn't be thinking like rationally much, like you, you said. You it, it helps you rationalize your thoughts and and your emotions. And I didn't really, I wasn't equipped with that um, originally, and now I've I've a much better understanding of my own thought processes and, and my own mind which is obviously being informed by you know, studying neuroscience and being interested in all this kind of crack anyway but I think it's very it's very hard a lot, a lot of people don't have those tools and they don't really think about their own thoughts that much it sounds quite ironic but when you I think these those tools are very useful for everybody to, oh absolutely I think everyone will benefit from CBT. Yeah. 
So how does CBT inform your lifestyle on a day-to-day basis? It just basically, um, it's not something I've, I put into practice, well, I probably put it into practice unconsciously every day now, but it's not something I have to sit down and practice. I think it's just the way I kind of nearly rewired my brain that now I'm able to, um, yeah, I don't, it's so hard to explain. It's, I know, I know, I know. Um, for, for me, I think you, you articulated it quite well when you said it was unconscious processing that mm-hmm. kind of changed. So in the beginning for me, CBT required me to practice putting uh, thoughts into a, a, putting, rationalizing my thoughts. And after a while, I didn't have to put in the effort anymore. Things just were rationalizing. Clicked, yeah. yeah, so it's something that I trained hard at in the beginning. And then as time progressed, it was much more naturalistic. Yeah. Um, so that that was CBT. And, and so you still go every three to six months to... It depends. Yeah, I don't have to go that... Like, obviously, when I first started, it was like, you know, once a week and... Then it became once a month, and now it's uh, he gives me a time frame. So the last time frame I got was about six months. Okay. So it was yeah. And do you encounter you know, significant uh, anger and sadness uh, on on your daily basis now, or uh, no, how, um, I'm not anger and sadness. Um, anxiety. Uh, yes, I find myself stressing over very. Uh, simple little things like and I could for a couple of minutes and then click and I'd realise like you know what am I doing like you know right. I am I shouldn't be um you know it does kind of click pretty quickly so it does at the minute like what really is affecting me is that when I was quite bad a number of years ago and first had to seek help I um I, I started these compulsions like with, with my OCD and it was basically kind of a, a way of protecting myself so it was and um, I don't really have the same pro- thought process as I used to then thankfully because you know I um, have worked on my mind and I've got so much help but I still have the habits and compulsions that I began when I did when I when my mind wasn't where it was meant to be right and um so i'm still continuing them and trying to stop it and do you mind me asking what type of compulsions they were or? um basically i um i used to convince myself that there was something in my mouth um it could be anything something solid something uh, an irritant substance um a harmful substance and i think it had a lot to do with the way that my brother died so it did um, while I was getting that and I used to protect myself I was terrified of dying so I used to constantly spit okay. and I just felt like that was a way of protecting myself like okay. even though I never had anything harmful like that in my mouth but it yeah. was it was a I'd have to rinse my mouth out or check or interesting right yeah and um, do you, I don't know would, would you mind me sharing how or would you mind sharing how your brother how your brother died um, it was a, a choking incident, wasn't it? He choked on a ping pong ball, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's 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 crazy how these events really do affect us. And I I was bereaved in more traditional circumstances. Um, my at a serious bereavement. My my father died with cancer. I can, um, that that still affects me to this day. And you know, with with kind of unusual uh, with unusual behaviors too. Like I'd I'd have kind of funny compulsions. Um. 
it's some some things I still do unconsciously. This will this will sound mad, but I used I used to think like, uh, oh, I have to when I'm running up the stairs, I'd have to skip one stair at a time, so I'd have to take them two at a time. And um, in my mind, I was like, if I do that, um, my dad loved me. Yeah, I when I was younger, um, even actually before Liam died, I had compulsions like that, and unfortunately. Um, after he died and how I kept things bottled up, bottled up, it, they kind of spiralled out of control. So I had obviously the, you know, I had the potential um, yeah. to have OCD, but unfortunately, due to the stress, the leaving around um, the bereavement and the family, it, uh, the, the convulsions kind of fed on that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's 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 an unusual aspect of the human condition, but I think um, I think a lot of people have kind of different thought processes that are are difficult to rationalize but at the same time so many people do those things that it is it is quite a normal thing in, yeah. in a sense you know um and yeah like and, and even still like i'm a i'm a pretty emotionally healthy person but every so often i, I still you know run up the stairs two at a time and it co- I, that's the one just that, that springs to mind and it, it, it there was no yeah, there, there's nothing that I have nothing in my life that tells me I should be doing that that I, that I should be acting on that behaviour and um, you know I, I lived in a in a you know bungalow when I was growing up like you know where there was those stairs but it's just something that that I I kept on so to those listening if you have unusual behaviours you're not alone uh, there's two two pretty emotionally healthy people at the other end of the mic that has experienced that has experienced similar things um thanks me for sharing that all right I, I can only imagine how difficult that is and one thing you mentioned in your story is i'm not going to pretend i understand what you're going through you're talking to the reader but what i can do is relate to your experiences through my own and that's the same for me i fortunately will will never know what it's like to to lose a brother in such circumstances and you'll never know what it's like to to lose a father but we can definitely empathize with each other because we've had it we've had shared experiences of sincere stress and and anxiety and even even now we both discovered that we have pretty unusual compulsions but that doesn't necessarily mean that I understand what you're going through or or you understand what I'm going through but we can definitely relate to each other. And it's it's so important to reveal that part of ourselves because you're a very good friend when I know I don't see you as much as I'd like to. Like, I fucking, you know, love you to bits and I'd do anything for you. And I think to those we love, we have a responsibility to, sh- to show them when we're happy because our happiness will inform their joy and will enable them to flourish. But it's, also necessary that we share our woes with those we love as well because if we don't we're basically detracting from their potential experience because they will never get the opportunity to make that person that they love so much feel better so a brilliant thing that you did was in in your was it was it in, in first year college you opened up to your family um, no, it was actually just before my I sat my leave insert exams. Right. I knew something wasn't right, um, and I opened up to him, and I thought everything would settle down after my leave insert. 
I just said, look, I think this is all because of the stress from my leaving cert, but if it's not, I'm going to need help after my exams. And after my exams, it, it actually got worse. It spiralled out of control completely because I was so focused on studying that was keeping me occupied that when I had nothing to do and nothing to study, all yeah. I was left with was my own thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's mad, like, so... When when you sh- when you shared with your family, then you were able to inform them to bring to, and you gave them the opportunity to take you out of that horrible horrible mind environment Absolutely. you had. And um, like the worst thing, well, not the worst thing, but you know they were upset that they didn't know what was going on. Yeah, you know they they really were, and they always said that to me now. They're you know no matter what you're feeling or what you're thinking, we'd rather know than not know yeah so yeah and and it's it's not unusual that it was so many years after being bereaved that you experienced those stresses as well and that it was after the stressful event of the leaving cert and um, that it kind of came upon you i i've i've a similar experience as well like i probably suffered grief at its highest intensity when i was in my early teens which was over 10 years after my dad had died. So sometimes it takes us a long time to process a, stre- yeah. a stressful event. And <clears throat> so often it happens when you're when you're quite idle and you've ac- you actually now have the opportunity to parse through certain things that have been on your mind with your total attention. And if you're if you're not equipped with the right tools, then that can be a very, very difficult time. Um, but that's all in the past. Now, I suppose, that, that intense time after the leaving cert. And you're really a very informed and healthy, compassionate and loving person now, which is, which is deadly. So in your story, how, how did you open up to your family? Um, Do you I, remember? The, I can I picture going into them, yeah, going into my, you know, 17 and uh, going into my parents' bedroom, like, you know... Uh, Shouldn't have been like a like a little kid, so I was. But I just knew something wasn't right in my mindset. I knew, and that's actually a common trait of OCD. You know what you're thinking is completely irrational, but you act on it. Yeah, act on it anyway. Yeah. So you do, even though you know what's in your head is completely irrational. Right. But you you still act on it anyway. Yeah. And um, I did. I just I knew something wasn't right, but I really did think it was just. Um, it would all die down after the leaving cert and it, it completely didn't went the other way um, absolutely so it did um, yeah I, I, I was happy to open up with them that time so I, I needed to to be fair I needed to open up yeah. with them and um, I really just bit the bullet like so I, I and I had days where I walked to their door and I was about to turn the handle and I didn't walk back to my room or I just walked out of my room and walked back to my room or I was opened my mouth in front of them and then you know, it did take a while. Yeah. But then one day I just said, no, this has to yeah. come out. Yeah, that's mad. And I, I remember, you can very relatable experience that. When I was trying to open up about my depression to to mom and my, and my, and my family, um, I'd be kind of there, you know, hand on the handle of the door and I wouldn't push it. Or I'd, I'd get up, uh, oftentimes I, I'd, very bad trouble sleeping so I'd often get out of bed and I'd be up in bed and I'd be kind of pacing but I'd never leave the room and I was always very close but um, 
eventually when I did do it, it was obviously the beginning of the path to a proper recovery because I had an, I had an informed network which could then help me. Yeah. Um, but that's mad how you kind of similarly had the, oh, the hand in the door. Yeah. Like, Jenny, like. So you're a primary school teacher? Oh, yeah. 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 For what reasons did you choose to study primary school teaching and then to do the, the H-dip after and everything and, and do it all? Um, it's something really I always had in my mind. Um, I've always loved uh, working with kids. Like I've, I have two younger brothers, um, so I do, and uh, I love them to bits. Like not that I don't love my older brother now as well, but um, <laughs> but um, I did. It was always good with young kids, like so I was, and um, I, I looked up to a, a particular teacher when I was in primary school as well. Yeah, um, who was it? Miss um, uh, Cleary, so it was. Okay, yeah. okay. So. Um, yeah, she really inspired me, so she did come, become a teacher, so she did, and uh, yeah, I just, I suppose in a sense, like, I was in t- two minds about it at one stage, because, you know, because I had lost my brother, because when I go back every September, like, my heart breaks when I see the infants come in, because he was just about to start school, Right. but at the same time, seeing them, you know... Uh, ideas click in their heads or having a good time in school you know it reminds me of him too and it puts a smile on my face like yeah. so it does so there, there's two like you know I'm there's two sides to it I'm never going to have a day where I I don't think about him but and you know it's only natural that I'd be upset about him but at the same time you know some things do put a smile on my face as well like yeah. I have happy memories like him yeah that's that's special being able, being able to you know not let that that sadness consume you when you see the the infants, but you see things clicking, and you know that 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 brings joy to your face. Um, again, similarly, my nephew just turned three years old. Uh, there a couple of months ago, and that was a weird, a very very strange time for me because he was growing up in the same house I grew up in, and it it was at his age that my dad died, so I actually had trouble kind of when maybe when he'd leave I'd, I'd let it kind of consume me uh, and I just I'd be I'd be breaking out of tears because it was such a hard experience but then at the same time now I I I always love spending time with him and I continue to love spending time with him but there is there is an element of difficulty there in trying to understand that oh, I was that age when something so stressful happened to me and <clears throat> I think of how hard it would be for him if, if he if he lost his dad and how confusing it would be but helping him and uh, teaching him different things and spending time with him does inform my happiness and it seems that that's also true for you like spending time with with kids of that age and being able to foster them into a, a real flourishing environment really does you know help you like which is class and uh, getting back to Miss Cleary the reason I asked you what her name was is one thing I do now which I didn't do in the past is that I try and reach out to people that inspire me and tell them how meaningful and inspiring they are to me. Um, because I think sometimes we can hold people in a very, very high regard without them even knowing. So that was why I asked. Oh, right, okay. So shout out to you, Miss Cleary. <laughs> um, but no doubt in, in a couple of years you'll have students going to you wanting to be a primary school teacher and they'll be shouting out to Laura Gilsman. For good reasons, hopefully. <laughs> on, a, on a much better podcast with a much sounder host. So, before we finish up, is there anything that we haven't covered with regards your experiences or emotional well-being in general that you'd like to talk about? 
I don't think so. I think it's been a steady process nearly since I gave my original um, story. Story, the, the, the sorry. story. Yeah, yeah. Right. and um, it has been just a steady process. I've been quite good since then. The one thing I would say, I did lose my granddad um, just back in October, just gone, and um, that affected me. So it did, and I suppose it did take a little bit of a step back, um, mental health wise, very slight. So I did, but I think. Uh, see, I was able to recognise it, you know, and I knew what I needed to do and I knew I needed to talk to people and open up and I did, uh, you know, and I told them not to panic that I'm dealing with it. And I think that's important to recognise that you're never going, like, well, I'm certainly never going to be done with my mental health journey. Like, and some days I can take two steps back and other days I can take five steps forward. And that, that it's just all about balance. So it's all about, you know, you know, embracing the great, when you have a great day and really enjoying it. And then when you're not having a not so great day, just knowing what you need to do and apply the tools and knowing that you can talk to people and reach out to them. Um, you know, knowing what you need to do to survive basically. Yeah. And, um, well, I, I, you you often hear me talk about emotional well-being. I, I, for for my own kind of sake, I, I stray away from the phrase mental health because I with my studies, mental health was always the language of disorders. So anytime you hear me use the phrase emotional well being, it's basically interchangeable with what you're yeah. with what you're talking about. So for me, my emotional well being is constantly in flux, and everybody's is. You know, not everybody is happy all the time. You know, if you are, you're a liar. You, know, you do experience. You know, neutral days, happy days, stressful days, days where you get angry, days where you get anxious and fearful. Like that, that is normal. It's something that's constantly in flux. But I suppose you need to be able to have a picture of it, maybe a graph in your mind where you have an x-axis and you think of maybe it's everything that's below the x-axis is the the, neg- the negative moods. So uh, I, I say negative not because they're bad, but negative because they're maybe more painful. So if, if it's anxiety... If it's anger, if it's sadness, uh, you know, if if you're if you're suffering with compulsions, maybe you know, and um, those would be you know your your neg your negative experiences, and then above that you have joyous experiences where you're you're, you're happy, you're excelling, you're in a state of flow, you're you're just basically li- living life and living dreams, and you you picture yourself going, how how much time do I spend, you know on the positive side of that axis and how much time do I spend on the negative and if there's a serious mismatch well then I think it's it's definitely something that you should try and articulate think about and speak openly about to those you care about because that's not right and it's not normal to be spending a lot of time even the positive part because then you're you're manic and you're you're not probably you're probably not experiencing uh, the reality around you you know and um, like I consider us I don't consider myself an optimist or a pessimist I'm just a, a realist you know yeah. and I think when I'm in when, when I'm in my healthiest state I'm I'm a realist and I'm being realistic about everything and I kind of try and have a measured response to to everything that's going on before we finish up a couple of random questions for you the GAA is a very important part of your life oh absolutely yeah. and football and teams uh, what about what, why is it so important to you um, it's just a release, so it is really. Um, I've grown up playing Gaelic football, so it's it's just it's part of my life now. It's it's bigger than a hobby, really. It's more of a passion, like so it is. 
and it is just a release when I'm playing Gaelic football like you know nothing else matters like you're just you're just playing Gaelic football and it really helps me cope with my uh, with stress and anxiety and just having that network of friends around you and support um, as well I've also I've started running which is um, um, what difference so it is like you know an individual sport so it is but I mostly do that for my mind like so I do like I know I don't really mind the fitness end of things the fitness end of things is with the GAA but if I need um, if I'm not training with my club or I need a release I just go off for a run and you, you come back you know and you're so refreshed like it's almost like you know you're wiping the slate clean so you are and you're you're starting again I just I love running so I do just for my mind and the amount of people I've spoken to about that is actually amazing you know I opened up with some of the girls and work about it, so I just said well, no I don't run for my fitness I just run for my mind They're, they said the same thing they'd be like oh yeah that's why I, why I go swimming I couldn't yeah. care less about the exercise I just do it for my mind like yeah. you know and, yeah I think that's that's a really important thing I think ultimately all we have is our mind and how we interpret things you know so yeah f- you know being fit is great but the reason being fit feels good is because it affects your mind. So ultimately, your, your mind is kind of the end goal, from my perspective, uh, how, how you affect your consciousness. So that's the alien. You mentioned how when you're playing GAA, that's, that's all you're doing. And it sounds reminiscent of being in a state of flow. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're not thinking about t- putting one foot in front of the other and catching the ball and putting your fist to the ball and passing a person. It's all just automatic. And you're in, you're in this you're kind of dreamy moment. state. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's something that I think if people don't have, they should seek out. Um, I find myself in a state of flow when I'm maybe doing a bit of doing a bit of writing or going for it, much like yourself, going for a run as well. And it's so important that we almost do gym work for for our minds. You know, I don't mean literal gym work. I mean do a workout for your mind. So that what's something that will put you in a state of flow and something that will give you some sort of emotional release. And very last question. Uh, if you were to give any, if you were to give advice to any of the listeners about their emotional well-being, what would it be? Um, I think I stand by everything I said really in my original story that you know, never be afraid to open up to somebody. It's just amazing that the amount of people you know that are willing to help. I know I was absolutely terrified to open up, and I know other people are out there too, but. I couldn't get over the amount of people that were willing to listen to me and willing to help me when I finally did open up and they did want to know and they did want to help. So, you know, don't be afraid to open up. You know, it's the it's the first step in your recovery, so it is. Couldn't have said it about myself. Laura, this podcast is on with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>